I want to invite you to go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 5. We're going to be in James 5 this morning, verses 1 through 6. James 5, 1 through 6. And uh, if you are a guest with us, you are meeting uh, here with us for uh, what is the tail end that we're coming to of our series through the book of James. And uh, over the summer, we have been journeying through the book of James and looking at how James has called followers of Jesus Christ to live their lives and put their faith in action. Hence the reason why we have titled the sermon series, Faith in Action. And what we see over the last couple of weeks, especially when we were in chapter 4, we looked a couple of weeks ago at how uh, we need to be careful as followers of Jesus not to give in to moral weakness. We're supposed to live on our lives in a way that demonstrates and, and proclaims the gospel in the way in which we live and work and play and do all of those things, and not so much even to the things of this world. Yes, we are in this world, but we are to make a difference and not so much be uh, influenced, if you will, by the things of this world. Pastor Michael last week gave a great sermon uh, for his last one with us on uh, the conclusion of chapter 4 about boasting about tomorrow. And, and James gives us specific word to the business owners at that time when he was writing uh, about some very specific and there's some very applicable truths that we heard last week for that. Today we're going to look at something from the beginning of chapter 5, just six verses, and it says at the top maybe in your Bible a section that says warning to the rich. And before we get too much into that, I want us to stand together. Let's read this passage together to honor God's word. So if you would please stand with me as we do that. James 5, 1 through 6. The word of the Lord says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotten and your garments are mocking. Your gold and silver have corroded, and the corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat, you, eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I love you. I thank you, Lord, for who you are. You are a weight maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper. The light in the darkness, that is who you are. Father, I thank you so much for who you are and the great love that you have shown to us through Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank you, Lord, for your word that has lasted thousands and thousands of years. Lord, for us to be able to stand here and, and proclaim the truth of the gospel here in the year 2020. Here in the midst of a year where things have been so incredibly difficult for many of us, for our entire city, state, and country, across the globe, there have been many hard things that have been going on. The Lord, one thing that has stayed constant is your sovereignty. The one thing that has stayed constant is the fact that you sit on the throne, you rule, you reign supreme over the world in which you created. So Father, now as we take the time to, to, to hear the word of God proclaimed, Lord, I pray that you would be with me as I proclaim it. Lord, that you would speak. That your Holy Spirit would do a powerful work out here in this place, for those listening on the night. Lord, I pray, as always, that you would increase, that I would decrease. Let us be nothing of myself. May you get all the glory, honor, and praise. And I pray the same 
for our brothers and sister congregations that are around us right now. I pray, God, that you would boldly proclaim the word through the man that you have standing in the pulpit today to those churches. I pray, God, that all of us in one accord would live our lives so that every man, woman, and child in our church of accountabilities has multiple opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, Lord, have your way. Be glorified. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. 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 All right. So, for what we're going to see here, there's a couple of things that we're going to see. We're going to see how James points out the need to avoid sin and the love of money and to honor God with what he has, caring for others in the process. Now, as we begin to look at this, and we go verse by verse looking at this passage, I want to open with a passage of scripture from 1 Timothy 6.10. And it says this, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I've entitled this sermon series, uh, the sermon today, The Root of All Evil. Because James is giving this warning against the wealthy landowners. He's giving this warning because of the way in which they are acting, the way in which they are treating people. And I think it's a very good reminder for us to be very mindful of what we as followers of Jesus are called to do in our lives. We are called to live our lives in obedience to God. We are called by God in our lives to be obedient, faithful stewards. We're called to love other people as ourselves and, and love our neighbors. We're called to show them the love of Christ. So if you're taking notes, I want to point out to you the first thing that you can write down. Avoid the sin of the love of money. Avoid the sin of the love of money. Look at verse 1 again. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. We see here in verse 1 how James brings about this new thought into play before us with the word come now. And in doing so, James is specifically positioning excuse me, positioning his teaching from the business people that we talked about last week that Michael ended on in, in that first uh, part of his sermon yesterday, last week from the business people who which he's speaking to and now to the healthy, uh, to the wealthy landowners that he refers to here as the rich. Now, make notice of something here. Throughout James' letter, he has written at certain points to say, brothers. He's writing to them and he's saying, brothers. He's writing to them in this, this loving type of way. And here, we don't see that phrase. He's being very direct, as James does throughout his book. And when he's saying here, he's saying, uh, he's showing the actions of the people and what they are doing. It is not showing or demonstrating godly character. Matter of fact, as we read through these six verses today, we can see that many of the things that James has taught on all throughout his book are not being lived out in this example. James has lived a, a, a beautiful example to us in his writing of how we are to live our lives in obedience to God. To obey Him, to serve Him, to honor Him, to glorify Him, to make an impact in the world. To literally put our faith into action. And not just sit back on the sidelines. And yet, this example of what we see today, it is the exact opposite of someone that lives a life in surrender and obedience to God. There's a lesson we learned for us through this. Some of the reasons too why, when we're seeing this, we see these wealthy landowners. It's, it's very unfortunate to understand that these people, they don't necessarily, these wealthy landowners, because of the way that their actions are producing, they're producing fruit, but they're producing bad fruit. In the way in which they treat and, 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 and very harmful towards people. 
And so there's reason to believe why they may not be believers. Dr. Robert Plummy, correctly quoted in several parts of this series, he says, James offers no hope of repentance in 1 through 6. James' language is that of a final judgment and not a temporary discipline as a believer would face. James is speaking in a way much like that of the Old Testament prophets who would condemn the outsider. Now look there in verse 1. He says, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. When he says that there, this is a foreshadowing. A foreshadowing, if you will, of what is coming in the final judgment. Remember, for anyone who does not repent of their sins, and it does not confess Jesus Christ as Lord and believe in their heart that God raised them from the dead. Walk in obedience. There's an there's a unfortunate reality of that. It means that you are not saved. It means that at the end of your life, you are separated from God. And in the final judgment, there is eternal separation in the lake of fire. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 tells us, Your riches have rotted, and your garments are mocked. James a little bit deeper on those who are rich. He focuses on this idea of them being materialistic, being more focused on the things that they have and the way in which they have acquired them and not living for God. It says, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. First, let's understand something. In the ancient world, they used sources of wealth in really three main categories, three big categories. Part of strength, clothing, and precious metals and jewels. Now, what is the reality of all of those values? The fact that it says there in verse 2, your riches have rotted and your garments are not eaten, it tells us one thing for sure. No matter how many things we acquire in this life, no matter how many things of wealth that we have, no matter how many materialistic things that we do and that we acquire, at the end of the day, they will rot. They will decay. They will be gone. Like Jesus says, store up your treasures in heaven. We don't need to go around and continually acquire so many things in this life because at the end of the day, the reality is when our time on earth is done, can we take them with us? No, we can't. We can't. They were right to make you feel guilty for having things. I don't want you to feel guilty for having things. There are things that we have and that we need. But there's also things in our lives that maybe we don't need to overindulge in or don't need to continually acquire because it's not necessary for the mission that God has called us to. You hear us continually pinpoint and move forward on talking about the mission. The mission, as I said during the prayer, is so that every man, woman, and child in our circle of accountability, in our daily lives, has multiple opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here at Holmes Avenue, we are prayerful, equipped followers of Jesus who are deployed on his mission. And if that means that, that we don't necessarily need to have a lot to do that, then that is a great thing. That may, You may have many things in your life that you could give to the mission. And praise God for that. I would encourage you to do so. But this, this reality is that we do not have to be so materialistic. We don't need to be focused on so many things of this life because they will what? They will no longer be around at the end of the world. It says there, we're looking at it, your riches are rotted, your garments are muffled. There are many things that, that we can see. We, we see in this moment how their wealth has accumulated via the way in which they treated these people. We're going to see that in just a moment. 
And the reality of that is that it is sinful. Because they have taken advantage of the people that are working for them. They are taking advantage of the people that are putting in hard work. And they're taking advantage of them and they are building upon their, their acquiring of so many things, their materials, and all of these things. Obviously being sinful in the which they do that. Look at verse 3. Your gold and your silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evident against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Now James knows that gold and silver could not corrode, but he indicates that they themselves would corrode on the day of the Lord because of their sin. James, again, is foreshadowing the coming final judgment. These people are not repentant followers of Christ. And so because of that, the reality is they can continue to acquire things. They can continue to build into things in this world. Let the things in this world fill them. They think they're good to go. And then the reality is at the end of this life, the end of this world, and when the day of the Lord happens, they re realize that they have eternal separation from God Almighty. This is heartbreaking to think about this. James uses these points to point out the fact that they're accumulating these things to show the rich new value of life, the gold and silver. It, it says there that they laid up treasure in the last days. They laid up these treasures here on earth, not necessarily laying up treasures in heaven as followers of Christ are called to do. So they built up all of these treasures, preparing themselves for all the things that they need in this life, and then when this life is over, they realize that they have nothing. They truly have nothing because they don't have Christ. They don't have eternity with God, praising God for all eternity. It says there, it will eat your flesh like fire. It's kind of hard to read. It's kind of hard to hear. Again, James, very direct in his writing. He wants to make things clear of how we are to live. Again. He's speaking of these unrepentant persons who would put all of their value in the things of this world, not never once coming in repentance to Christ. Listen to what the book of Revelation says in 20, 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and on him was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and, the, and then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up dead who were in them, and they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. 14 says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You see, folks, this is the not so fun part if you don't know Christ. This is the part where it's not necessarily being politically correct to talk about. This is the part that is confrontational. This is the part that, unfortunately, churches today shy away from because they don't want to offend people. But this is one of the reasons also why we preach and teach the Word of God verse by verse through the Scriptures. Because we're not going to shy away from the hard stuff. The reality is 
that if you are not a repentant believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a promise of eternal life for you. It's eternal life that is separated from God. Eventually in the lake of fire, where, where Scripture says it is the gnashing of teeth, it is sorrow, it is pain. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that there is a way to God. The way to God is through the finished work of Jesus Christ and what He accomplished at the cross of Calvary. When Jesus came and lived His perfect life, it was the fulfillment of God's prophecies all through the Old Testament. You've heard it quoted many times this year, but in Genesis 3 we see the fall of man. We know that man has sinned against God because of the temptation of the enemy. And because of that, sin has come into this world and it runs rampant. We see it around us on television every waking moment. The, the, the effects of sin in this world. And God makes it clear in the garden, looking at Satan, looking at Eve and Adam, he says very clearly that he will put enmity between the offspring of Satan, the offspring of Eve. And, and because of this, there will be a day when, yes, Satan will bruise his heel, but he will crush his head. That is pointing to Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary, where it looks like Satan is winning, where it looks like evil has won the day, and Jesus is being killed, and he's being done with, and no more. And although those wounds there that Jesus went through after being flogged and beaten, and the nails and crushing through his wrists and his feet, when he is there on the cross and the wrath of God is poured out on him and Jesus says, it is finished. The veil of the temple is torn. Jesus gives up his spirit and he dies. And he goes into the tomb. But on the third day, on Resurrection Sunday, he defeats the grave and resurrects to new life. Making the way so that the way to God is very clear. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through Him. He is the only way. There is nothing in this life that we can do. No matter how good of a person we try to be, we are still a sinner separated from God. And the wages of our sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of what Jesus has done, His defeat of the grave, and His resurrection from it, there is a way to eternity with God, away from the lake of fire, away from the gnashing of teeth and the sorrow and the pain that is the reality of hell. It's repentance of our sins, acknowledging the sin that we have, repenting of it, and crying out to Jesus Christ to save us, coming into our lives, transforming us, making us more and more like Him through our sanctification until the day God calls us home. Although James is writing here to these unrepentant non-believers talking about these wealthy landowners, it's very applicable to us. Because there are times in our lives where we're all being honest. And I know looking around here, I don't necessarily know each and every one of you, but I'm willing to bet that you're, you're like me in this sense. Because we are sinners, there are times in our life where we still sin. Matter of fact, we do it every single day. The reality is, but there are times in our lives where we want to be materialistic. We want to have nice things. There's nothing wrong with having nice things necessarily, but here's the, here's the problem we run into. 
these nice things that we acquire and we build up, there are many times where those things can become idols. And we can take those things and we can hold them up here in high regard and not do anything that brings God glory. See, there are things in our lives whenever we take our focus off of honoring and glorifying God for who He is and what He's called us to do, that we put pause on that, and we focus on this, and we make this the idol, and we cling to this, and we want more and more of this, when all this does is bring sin and pain and suffering in our life. Right? Even if it's a good thing, yes. Even if it's a good thing, because there are things that are good in our life that, that we want more and more and more of. But there are times when we get so focused on those things that we don't give God the needed glory and obedience that He requires of us that we sin against Him even with those good things. We can do this also with material things we do this with money talking about here. Hebrews 13, 5 says, keep your life free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. A beautiful reminder. A beautiful reminder for us when Jesus goes to leave.
God knows what is going on. God is not surprised by what is taking place here. He's not surprised in the least by what is taking place here. Matter of fact, it says also there that God is right there in verse 4. God is the issue that cries of the hearts have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. When we see that phrase, Lord of hosts, it means this. It means that the Lord of hosts can be referred to as God as the powerful commander of heavenly armies. In the Old Testament, we see this example in 1 Samuel 17, 45, when David says this to the Philistines, You come with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. So when James is saying here in verse 4, crying out against you, and the cries of the harvest said, I reach the ears of the Lord of hosts, the Lord knows exactly what is happening when these people are being sent against, when they're being taken advantage of. And the Lord will fight on behalf of his people. The Lord is there. He is present. He is the Lord of hosts. That is comforting to know that. It's also very scary if we're sinning against people. But we must honor God, be obedient to God, and love our neighbors as ourselves. God will intervene, and it will be just. Verse 5. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. Here again, James calls things as he sees them. When he says this, James scolds the rich who have acquired all this money in these inappropriate ways and has cared more about their materialistic lifestyle than the people that are taking advantage of. He says there, and this again might not sound necessarily politically correct, but he's, he's calling it like it is. He says, James refers to the rich ones who have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. James refers to the rich as cattle. He refers to them as cattle who have done this because just in the same way as cattle would overindulge themselves before they're taken to the slaughter, overeating and overindulging in these things. He's saying the same thing about these rich. He again is foreshadowing to the pending judgment of those who go without the repentance of sin and are separated from God for all eternity. It's a reality. It is reality. It's the truth of God's word, and I've been told by God to preach it. But it's hard to, it's hard sometimes to, to say these things, because you don't want to accept it, you don't want to be offensive, but the reality is this is the truth of God's word, and to be obedient, we must preach it. We must teach it. Verse 6 tells us, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. And this does not for actually going about and killing. However, this does point to the fact that by taking from them, this is taking away from their livelihood. This is taking away from the way in which they are able to pay and to live. And because of this, that can lead to things of what? Malnourishment. They might not be able to put food on the table. This could lead to death. They're taking away these means of living. Now listen very closely to how Kit Hughes puts this in the biblical scholar. He says, 
material fixation spawns a visible quartet in one's life, specifically looking at what we see here. It brings about 40, fraud, self-indulgence, and murder. 40, fraud, self-indulgence, and murder. Now, have any of you ever seen the show on television, Porter? Head. I get very queasy if I see that show because it's just so much stuff. The rooms are accumulating so much stuff, more and more and more. But when I, when I read this quote to get used, and I see this passage, it brings to mind that idea. These people are continually taking from each other. They're continually building upon their wealth. They're hoarding it all. And so they've got so much of it taking away from others. They're committing fraud. They're not honestly taking the money that maybe they have earned. They're taking from the money and the things that the people have worked hard for. Self-indulgence. Doing things to bring about things to please yourself. Murder. Again, not necessarily killing the people, but taking away so much stuff from them. And it eventually leads to death for those people. I think about this in light of the passage. I want us to, to stop and have a, a, just a second to think through this. Because Brian, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with hoarding materialistic things. I, I wouldn't say that I'm rich or I'm taking from people. But what, what would be applicable to me today? I want to ask you, are there things in your life that maybe you're hoarding? It doesn't necessarily have to be materialistic things. Are there things that you're hoarding that maybe you're making an idol of? Are there things that maybe you're being fraudulent with? Not necessarily with money, but other things. Are there things in your life that you're using for self-indulgence? Again, not to bring God glory, but to please yourself. And then murder. Not necessarily maybe you're not taking things from people that maybe could eventually lead to murder. But even as Jesus says when he's teaching in the gospel, Maybe if you look for someone who hates your heart, you committed murder. Maybe if there's someone in your life that you are having issues with, that maybe you need to repent of and go to that brother or sister and correct. Lastly, I just want to offer a, a kind word of encouragement and a warning. We've seen these things in this past today, and I want to ask you, I'd say, well, Brian, I, I, don't, I don't have this issue with my I want to ask you with a little bit maybe that you have, maybe you would say, I'm not rich. Maybe with the things that you have, whether they be monetary things, maybe they be possessions, maybe it be time. With the things that you have, are you being obedient to God with them? Are you being obedient to follow God with them and say, Lord, here's what I have. Take it. Use it. Take this time that I'm holding on to because I don't want to add maybe one more thing on my plate. I understand. But I know that I need to be obedient to the mission. Take it. Directly what I'm supposed to do. Lord, I don't necessarily have a ton of monetary things. I don't necessarily have a ton of money. But Lord, I'm not being obedient with my time. I'm not being obedient to say, Lord, take this money and use it for the mission as you see fit. So Lord, take it. Use it. They say, "Well, Brian, I, I, I feel like I'm tithing as I should. I feel like I'm doing this. I feel like I'm doing that. 
maybe let me ask you this. Maybe you're checking off the box. Maybe you're doing things. Maybe you're giving yes. That's great. Praise God. Maybe you're you're trying to offer up time. Great. Praise God. When's the last time that you've been open with your next door neighbor about the truth of the gospel that you have? When's the last time that you went and said, hey, you know what? We've got a great relationship. There's something that we have never talked about from the time that we've known each other. That is the fact that Jesus Christ saved my soul. And I need to tell you about that. When's the last time we walked down the hallway of our house to the next bedroom? To the child that lives with us, whether it be our, our, our actual child, our grandchild. Maybe if God is giving you the opportunity in your home, and you have your children there, and they have their friends come over. God laid it on your heart to be open about the truth of the gospel. There are many different ways in which we can be obedient. That we can, that we can be obedient to God with our monetarial things, the materialistic things, and with ourselves. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Be faithful in those things. Be faithful in those things. Be faithful with your time. This isn't, this isn't designed to be a message of giving, so please don't take it that way. I'm not trying to ask you for tons of money to, so we can build upon things. Matter of fact, I, I pray God just in this past week, we, we wrote two different checks for missions. That we're just giving away for the purpose of what God has called us to do. Praise God for that. This isn't just to get money so we can build up things. This is about obedience. This is about saying, Father, you have saved my soul. So I want to live a life of obedience to you with my money, with my time, and with the people that are around me you are divinely placed, you are divinely placed around me. I want to ask you, are you being obedient? Would you see yourself in this passage at all as being someone that's not being obedient and sitting against the Lord? Well, I want to encourage you with something. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what's going to be? Say, Lord, I, I'm hoarding this in my life. And I need to repent of that. I need to give it to you. So, Father, I do that. Maybe you say, Lord, I know that you have been telling me to do something for so long now. And I'm being disobedient by just continually putting up the arm and saying, stiff arm, no, I, I can't do that. I want to repent of that. And I want to say, Lord, here am I. Sin. What I ask you today, maybe you're sitting out here today and you're listening online right now, and you say, you know what? I have never truly understood the concept of the fact that I'm a sinner and my sin separates me from God. And so I need today to repent of my sins and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And I need to be taught what it means to truly follow Jesus. If that is today for you, if today is the day of salvation for you, i got good news for you. God is standing there with open arms, and we too will stand here with open arms for you to say, Come, brother, come, sister. Let us teach you what it means to follow Jesus. Matter of fact, if that is the day of salvation for you, if today is that day, or you say, Man, Brian, I, I, I know Jesus, I love Jesus, I've surrendered my life to Jesus, but man, I, I need to truly take the next step in my following of Him. I need to be baptized. I need to be disciples. And if you were to come to us and say, I need to be baptized, I give my life to Jesus, 
studying to be disciples, we would be an answer to prayer. Because every single day at 10 or 2, my phone buzzes. And I pray that many of you do the same. And we pray every single day, Luke 10 to. The harvest is plentiful, the labor is a few, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out labors which is his harvest. We pray every day as a church and ask God, knowing that the harvest is plentiful, knowing that the labor is a few, that he would build up labors for his harvest. So if you were to come and say, I need to be a disciple, I need to follow Jesus, we would be able to come alongside of you, build you up, and prayerfully send you out into the harvest. And we will rejoice and pray to God for that. Matter of fact, in just a few moments, we're going to do that with Michael and Rosa. Michael announced to you all last week that they are, because of just things going on in their life, they feel that God is leading them to move to Arkansas. He's finishing up with the Navy. They're going to be leaving us today. Today is their last Sunday with us. They're here. You might look around. You'll see them. They're sitting in their table right now. They're going to come up here. We're going to pray over them in a few moments. We're going to commission them out knowing that God is taking them where he is leading them and trusting that God is going to use them in his heart. But before we do that, before we sing, I want you to stop for a moment and reflect. You heard me say a few minutes ago, we're prayerful, equipped followers of Jesus before the mission. We're praying to God. So in this moment, I want us to have quiet reflection and think about the things that have been said today. You may have questions about the things that were said today. I want to encourage you, if you have questions, come forward and talk about it. You can ask afterwards. But this is an opportunity for you to stop and say, God, what are you saying to me today? Do I need to really stop and evaluate? I would say we all need to stop and evaluate our lives. We know that the Lord is speaking. What is he saying to us? And this is a time of response. Walking across this grass over here to me, does not save you. Repentance of sins and acknowledgement of Christ Jesus as Lord and His finished work on the cross, that is what saving grace is. That is what does it. But I'm going to be here after we have this moment of quiet reflection and prayer. The band's going to come forward now. Go ahead and come forward, man. They're going to lead us into Christ alone. I want to challenge you, though, before we sing, ask the Lord, Lord, what are you speaking to me in this world? And then you'll be to whatever it is you say. Let's stop for a quiet reflection prayer. And then I'll close the prayer for you.